There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So England make history and become the first side to secure a series clean sweep against Pakistan in Pakistan, taking just 38 minutes to score the 55 runs they needed to win the third test. Leicestershire head coach Paul Nixon joins us to look back at a memorable debut for 18-year-old Rian Ahmed, who became the youngest England bowler to take five wickets on his test debut. As well as that, we'll look back at uh, a mildly controversial first test between Australia and South Africa at the Gabba as the Aussies secured a six-wicket win inside two days in Brisbane. And we'll end the show by hearing from former New Zealand test captain Kane Williamson, who announced this week that he'll step down from that role. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, England became the first team ever to win three test matches in a series in Pakistan, never mind uh, a clean sweep in four or five match series. Nobody's ever won three test matches in Pakistan. And Harmi, people said when Basball began, well, let's see how uh, it'll go against South Africa's quicks. Let's see how they do against India. Um, And then they said, well, let's see it work in Pakistan. And it's just got more and more impressive. Absolutely. It's been a joy to watch the mindset that England have got now, the positivity that they go out with. They all talk about how positive they are with a bat and it's crash, bang, wallop. And it's not crash, bang, wallop. It's take the positive outlook every single time they go on the field. And the biggest thing for me is not the batting. It's their ability to take 20 wickets. Eight out of nine times now they've taken 20 wickets. And that's why they've won the games that that they've won. The runs that score and the rate that score them buy themselves some time to get the wickets and get that. But the amount of the way they're getting wickets on this tour has... And, and I, again, I, I'm not saying you wait for the, the, the sort of bubble to burst. You don't. You But you do throw that sort of roadblock in the way and you say, well, 
what was it going to be like against India spinners? Could they do it against Rabat and Nokia and, and Ngidi? And then you're like, well, how can you, you can't score five and over in Pakistan. It just, it's nearly impossible on these, you know, slow, turgid wickets. We went at seven and a half in the first test match and blew that ball out of the water. So it just shows you when you are positive about, you know, in your actions and your outlook, you've got a much better chance to achieve what your goal is and what you're trying to be, which is the best player within yourself. And if enough of you put that in, in a, in a team environment and go out on a field and put pressure on the opposition and you've got more chance of winning. And I said this many times over the course of the last couple of weeks, you just put relentless pressure. When you put relentless pressure on the opposition, you're asking them to make mistakes if they're not up to your level. And don't want to pull cold water on this, this achievement because it's an unbelievable achievement. This was a poor Pakistan side, but England just didn't give them a chance to be anything other than a poor Pakistan side because they were constantly putting them under pressure, constantly hey, asking on. them. Harmi, I've got, to, I've got to interrupt there. This is the same Pakistan team that took Australia to the end of the last day um, before they lost that series 1-0. This is the same Pakistan team. I agree with you, but nonetheless, that first test match, the first test match, England had almost no right to win that on one of the flattest pitches, you know, even for Pakistan standards. It's incredible. They had no right to win it. But when I I say this is a poor Pakistan side, it's a poor Pakistan side with that two or three Top top players. You look at Shine Afridi's missing. I'm not saying it's different if they're playing because England would have just steamrolled them anyway. They would have found a way of going through it. Um, but Pakistan have been made to look poor by the way England have played, not because Pakistan are bang out the bang average cricketers. There's some good cricketers in there. Don't no question that whatsoever. But England have made them bang average because the way they've they've, they've gone about their job. And you're right. They had no win, no right to win that first test match. That pitch was an absolute shocker. If we had two teams, international teams, who just played in, a, in a, an old-fashioned, normal way, you've just been you've been the gabber, and the gabber's pitch has been you know, ridiculed and shouted from the rooftop on how poor that is for test cricket. That first pitch in Rawalpindi would have been like, in the same way, but in a, obviously in a different way because it, would, it was just a, a dead pitch. But England made the pitch out of the conversation because it, yeah, it would have been the conversation if anybody other than England were playing on it because it would have been 500 played, 500 played, 120. So, look, you are, they've been magnificent. The decision-making has been excellent. The selection has been you know, first class. Um, and I think, capped it off, when you, when you go in this way, when you bring an 18-year-old in, he gets five wickets. You bring a bowler in like Will Jacks, who's a backup bowler, probably wouldn't have played if Liam Livingston hadn't he got injured and he, and he gets six wickets. He, he hardly bowled in first-class cricket, hardly played in first-class cricket. So, look, everything's going right for Stokes and McCollum at this minute in time, and it's brilliant to watch. It is. It really is a joy to watch. What I'm fascinated by, and I, I really want to get your insight as a, as a player and having been on tours, having been on long tours, difficult tours, is the confidence and the belief and the approach to play this fearless cricket has spread quicker than COVID on a, on a rush hour tube at its height. And that's, that's what I can't get my head around. I've seen negativity spread amongst a squad almost as quickly, but never this kind of totally fearless positivity. Everybody 
has bought into it. And that I've never seen before. Maybe three or four players, um, you know, will have secure in their place in the team and they have the backing of the coach. And But this is guys who haven't even been in the squad before have just come in and they just become infected by <laughs> by this unbelievable confidence and self. How is that... How is that possible to generate that kind of strength of, of belief? I think it comes from the leader. It comes from your leader. I always said dressing rooms are like a flock of sheep. You're seeing your players and your manager, your leader, your the guy at the top. You know, his message is important. And then you get people buying into it. A lot of talk about Broaden Anderson a couple of years ago when they got left out of you know, I think Ashley Giles's regime left them out because talking about them being problem because there were because we're too demanding. And it was like, really? Too demanding? This is international cricket. Now, you if you get Broad Anderson, first and foremost, and Root, to buy in to what you are trying to achieve from a Ben Stokes point of view, then all of a sudden it's easier to drive your message further down because they just look at these guys and go, wow, why has he played 175 test matches? Why has he played 160 test matches? But the message that Stokes was, it's ultra positive. He took a lot of responsibility away from the players when it comes to practice. He's basically said to everybody that's not important in the hangers-on, out the dressing room, off you go. We're not going to clutter the mindset of these guys. They come, you practice, practice what you want. The day before this game in Karachi, they're having a six-hitting competition on the afternoon, the, the day before the game in the afternoon, they're having a six-hitting competition where the coach wins. Brendan McCullum won the six-hitting competition. And you're going, I can imagine Duncan Fletcher doing that in my time, you know, thinking it without his half back on the day before the game. They, they just, they've just ripped the rule book up. They've ripped the rule book up and gone, right, you know what, lads, we're going to have a great time. The old saying, when I lose, we hit the booze. I tell you what, it's like that. It looks like that in that dressing room. It's just so infectious and it's easy when you're winning because you don't pip over cracks. But when you get to tough times, that little 1% of that, you've sort of, you can drag somebody with you to get yourselves over the line. They're finding ways to win. I remember in 2000 and leading in that to the Ashes in 2005, yeah, we, we, we won seven test matches at home in a row. We chased over 230 about four times on the fourth innings. We just couldn't get beat. We didn't know how to get beat. Yeah, we, when the West Indies won 3-0, three out of four, we won seven in a row. We went to South Africa and won 2-1, first team to go after apartheid to win there. Bangladesh at home and then bring on Australia. We didn't know how to get beat. We didn't. It was just, we had so much belief in the group and how it was going. But this is this, and that was a that was a fantastic side with an unbelievable bowling attack. We are batters. KP was the icing on a kick. These lads have taken it to a different level whatsoever. All, all together. They've just raised the bar so much by the way that they've played. And when you go into this dressing room, you know for a fact you're going in with a winning mentality. You must walk 10 foot tall into this dressing room when you make your debut because you know, it just, just seemed that the ones that have come into the team in the last sort of three months, four months, they've walked in and gone, test cricket? What's test cricket? Not a problem at all. Bang, chest out. Give me the bat, give me the ball. Let's go and have some fun. I get it. And saying to senior players who've played 20 test matches, we're going to change the approach here. Um, 
or have played 10 test matches, but guys like Harry Brook, what a series he's had. And he's just at the beginning of his England career. So it's all well and good to say to somebody like that, we want you to play fearless cream. We want to see the very best of Harry Brook. How about Ben Duckett? He's been out of the team for five years. Mm. And so you, you tell him, I want you to go out there and if it's a bad ball, hit it. And in fact, if it's a good ball and you fancy it, hit that too. But he's waited five years for a second bite of the cherry. And he's ended up scoring 357 runs, at an average of 71 and a strike rate of 95. That's what is so hard to, to comprehend. Yeah, and that's that, but that comes from the message you're driving from, from Ben and from Brendan, that you are, you're part of this group. And I'm sure the Zach Crawley message will, will go around to, to some of the players that, we back you. We believe in you. We feel as though you're the right man for this role. And you look at the you look at what we've done in the past. We've backed players that we feel as though I know Alex Lee's might feel different, but we've backed players who have gone through a barren patch because we know that we trust them that they're the best player for this team in this environment with what we've got on offer. And Ben Duckett could be a he, he still could be a horses for courses pick in Asia. He goes to New Zealand, and if the ball zips about a bit and he, he has a, a tough time, then England might have a decision to make leading into the Ashes. But Ben Duckett walks to Australia and goes right uh, to New Zealand, takes them on, and if he takes them on and does well, he's in the Ashes and he's he, he's in for a foreseeable future because I think he balances it out well with Zach Crawley, left and right-hand combination, tall guy, little guy. So you're looking at, from a bowler's point of view, the length and the margin for error is a lot short, a lot smaller, and they're both willing to put the bad ball away if you over-pitch or a ball that, that little bit shorter. So I think they're a good combination, the two of them, um, and I'm sure Ben and Brendan have been making that point to say, look, yeah, it's your shirt to give away now. Just go and be the best Ben Duckett possibly you can be, and, and I think the confidence uh, they're getting off that Harry Brooks just a fantastic talent. He's just a fantastic talent, isn't he? And we've been speaking about him for a year. We just couldn't get him in because England have been going so well. How many times have we said on this program, "We've got to play Harry Book. We've got to play Harry Book." The Red Ball game just didn't even he didn't even come into the equation because of how well the lads have played. England have got some good selection dilemmas leading into New Zealand and Australia, and they're they're happy ones. It's not a case of who we pick. It's it's who we leave out. And when you've got that selection dilemma, you've always got a chance of winning test series and the biggest test series. Because let's be fair, man. When you are England are eight from nine, you've got to go to New Zealand, and then we've got Australia in June. And this will this will all quickly go out the window if you lose the ashes. You're judged on what happens in the ashes. You've got to give yourself the best chance. And they've given themselves the best chance. Because less than a year ago. Less than a year ago, when this lot was put together, he, McCollum, Stokes, our cricket in this country was a shambles, apparently. We didn't have any players. We couldn't have any, we didn't have any fast bowlers. We didn't have any spinners. We didn't have any batters who could get runs in test match cricket. We were an absolute shambles, according to the world. County cricket was not fit for purpose. The Duke ball was a waste of time because it does far too much. Yeah, all these things were thrown at us. McCullum and Stokes have thrown all that out the window. We are we are a good side. We have got players. Our cricket is fit for purpose. We just needed to we just needed a different mindset, but we'll be judged when the ashes comes around. 
Indeed so. And it's the first time since 2006 that England have won a test match without either Jimmy Anderson or Stuart Broad in it. Some, that's 16 years. So that's another little era that's uh, quietly be, not not moved on from, but um, they, they've made it possible now. And the belief is there that they can move on from it. So you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. OK, um, let's hear now from Leicestershire head coach Paul Nixon, who caught up with Harmy on Monday afternoon to look back at a stunning debut for Rian Ahmed, who became the youngest bowler to take a five-wicket haul on his test debut for England. Well, it's great to have Paul Nixon on the Cricket Collective. Nico, great to see you. You're out in Pakistan. Uh, first of all, wow, must be a very, very proud Leicestershire coach at this minute in time, seeing what Rian Ahmed has just done. What a day for a boy. What do you, what's your initial thoughts of his debut? And more more importantly, he's Pfeiffer. Hi, Steve. Yeah, you know, obviously everybody from last year were all thoroughly delighted. We genuinely thought this day would happen at some stage. It's come slightly quicker than we probably first imagined. But his ability, his temperament, he's got special gifts and... Um, He's a guy that was always going to have stardom. It was just a matter of time. And he's done himself proud, which is lovely, with the ball. People will see his batting ability down the line. He showed one or two shots tonight, a little glimpse. I think he was a little bit pumped tonight with adrenaline to go out and do well. But, um, you know, to be out here when when Rahan's making his debut is amazing. He's playing against our lads. Uh, Saud, our captain, was his first wicket. Abra is a guy that we made sure we got bowling earlier in the games and he's got so many more wickets. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great because we've got guys who we know playing against each other every minute of the day. It's lovely. You've taken a, a role to help Pakistan cricket, but you've also beat them, you know, you've beat them, com- beat them comfortably. England have, have, have beat them comfortably in the, in the Test Series. When was it first you as his coaching team and academy sides, you first come across the young man and he... He stood out and you were going, wow, this kid's going to be a special boy. Well, you know, he started he started his journey, uh, obviously, at, at Nottinghamshire. Um, yeah, he wasn't happy with the way things are going over there. So he came across Raheem, um, who we've seen a lot in the news, was was um, a, a guy who we work with, with Leicestershire, works for Leicestershire as well, who is based in the sort of Derby, Nottingham area, said this youngster's got serious ability. You've got to have a look at him. Um, so we got him over in our academy, and as soon as we saw his zest for life, his energy for cricket is like I've seen no other. He genuinely loves the game so much, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, in fact, he loved it almost too much because we had to stop him playing cricket in the last couple of years. We've had to stop him playing cricket away from Leicestershire because he was doing academy sessions, netting with the second team, first team. He was playing um, second team games and the first team game and then playing club cricket, club nets, school Mm. cricket. So it had to become around quality, not quantity. Um, And that was really important for him. So and he bought into that. It took him a while, but he bought into that. He loves the he loves the game. He's been playing men's cricket for many years. He's mature above his years in his cricket sense um, and his cricket mindset. He's a showman. He, Mm. he, He loves putting the show on. He loves flicking that ball in the air. He'll catch it, not looking. He'll tell you how he's going to get a batsman out straight away in the nets as soon as he walks in. Right, Nico, I'm going to get the skipper out. I'm going to go two away, then a googly. Um, and he's got, you know, he's got lovely belief in his game because he's put the hours in. 
he, he genuinely spends hours and hours bowling in the back garden with his brothers. They're all fantastic cricketers, and and the, you know, and they're from a wonderful background. Naeem, their father, and mum's amazing. Um, they are such a, a wholesome family, and and you know, it's great to have them down anytime they come down and to see them so special. I had I had dad in my in my bedroom two nights ago till midnight. We were sat up talking and with Raheem the friend as well, which is great. So. Um, yeah, we're with that journey all the way, so it's wonderful. Yeah, I just I've just described him on the following on podcast. Now watching him away from bowling, it's a bit like Murley. Uh, he's like his eyes are wide open. He gives himself a good talking to every now and again. He's always sort of jabbering on. He's he's always sort of looks as though he's got loads and loads of enthusiasm, um, and he just seems as though he's having you know the time of his life. When you when you heard though, Nico, that he was going to make his debut. Was there any sort of any concern? He's only played three first-class matches. I'll come on to the, the first class and where he goes from here. But, you know, three first-class matches going into your Test match debut. It's not unheard of, but not many people can do it, especially at 19-year-old. Yeah, I mean, it's because we gave him his debut at 16, playing mm. um, against Warwickshire at Edgebaston. That was really important that we, that we, any coach will know this throughout more sports, is that when you've got, kids with really high ability levels and their ceilings are so high in their skill set, the only thing he needs to catch up with and hasn't had time to do yet is his real true fitness. And that's mm. something that, that Leicestershire, we sat down with ECB quite a few weeks ago now to plan out his winter because everybody wants him. Um, mm. Everybody wants him. The, 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 the PSR want him. Big Bash want him. Everybody wants him because wrist spinners on flat pitches in all formats take wickets. And, you know, Brendan and, and Keezy and, um, you know, and Stokesy have realised that. And it's so true. And being out here every day now since October, we know how important taking wickets are. And he takes wickets. He's hard to pick. His leg spinner needs a little bit of work in time, which you, because he's got a high action. Um, a bit like a bra, actually. AB's mm. actions are similar. They're both very high over the top. They're not round like Warney was yeah. with a big spin leg spinner. They're very high, so they get a bit more drift, and they get the googly and their and their variations are, are probably slightly bigger than than his than his bigger waist spinner. So, but he was he was ahead of his game. He came in his confidence in his ability because he's got control. He was so nervous in his first spell. He dropped more balls short than I've seen him mm. drop for two years. Um, but it was always going to be, and that's part of the journey. Um, and good and well done for Stokesy. To just to say back him, it doesn't matter, crack on, because he knows he's seen him in the nets every day and what he delivers. He's got confidence in his game. He's got true belief. And when you've got that, then you know you're okay. So that's where he's ahead. He's, he's, he's bowled so many hours in the net. He's bowled so many hours in the back garden with his brothers. He's bowled so many hours in nets, um, in club cricket, at school. You know, he hasn't stopped bowling. We've had to bring him back from doing too much. So mm. now... It's about quality, and is um, and he's there now. So you know he's settling beautifully. And where does he? This is a, a tough question um, because whether you've got the answer or you want to dodge the answer is where does he go now? Because England go to New Zealand, they go um, probably on two green wickets against their bowling attack. England probably only play one spinner. England come home for the Ashes, probably only going to play one spinner. And then we go to India after the World Cup in sort of November, December time. But in between that, he's got to play cricket and he's got to play the right volume of cricket and the right type of cricket. 
to have him, you know, keep fulfilling his his skills. And I think where I'm going with this is if the ECB, can the ECB turn around to Leicestershire and say, you've got to play him in four-day cricket? Because at the end of the day, you've got a left-arm spinner in Callum Parkinson, who's probably your, your, your sort of number one spinner. How can how can how can Leicester should be asked to play you know, the spinner they don't want to pick because in less than a year's time we're going to India and we're probably going to need them to front our spin bowling department when it comes to taking wickets. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Well, you said there you don't want to play him. Well, we probably do want to play him yeah. um, because the last couple of years he's had a lot of exams, a lot of courses, a lot of schoolwork to do. So we've always made sure that he's been okay and. We've made sure that we do the right thing for the right amount of volume of cricket that he's been doing. You know, he still hasn't had time to get in the gym properly and get fit and get ready and be properly ready to bowl long spells. So we've managed his workloads. Um, we've done everything holistically right so that he's got his schoolwork out of the way. He's got his exams that are really important out of the way. We sat down with family and had meetings with him and we're managing him the right way. We've also managed him with ECB. We've been looking for two years, three years at Leicestershire now, how to make our pitches turn. We had methods to make them turn after seeing a lot of other counties around the country making their wickets turn. We made our wickets turn. For some reason, we got, we got told off for the, by the ECB for making them turn the way we made them turn, which was really frustrating for us because we've got Rehan, we've got Callum Parkinson, we've got Colin Ackerman, who's still got mm-hmm. the world record in T20. Spinning, So we've got three wonderful spinners. We're desperate to, to make spinning pitches. When we see the ball turning around the country, especially down at Essex or wherever we see it turning, Somerset of old, we, you know, we were pulling our hair out. So, and you've not got much that, to pull out. <laughs> exactly. That's where it's all gone, mate. That's where it's all gone. So, you know, we're desperate to play that, you know, a good brand of cricket, of, of almost test match cricket. You know, we've got Callum Parkinson and we've got Rahan. We've got two brilliant spinners. We want to play on turning pitches. We think now we've got the answer that, that we are happy with, that ECB are happy with, and it'll help English cricket play spin better and, and be you know and play an exciting brand of cricket, which is what England have done here. We still want to do that at Grace Road. Yes, we haven't. Last year, we, we're still in a bit of a development phase with a young, a really young team, probably the second youngest in the country. Um, but that's exciting because... They're on a journey now. And actually, we still want to produce England cricketers, which Leicestershire are very proud of the way of the last 15, 20 years. We've, well, I think we've, apart from the likes of Surrey's and, and Yorkshire's, we've probably produced as many England players as anybody over the last 20 years. So we want to make it turn. We want great spin bowlers. Mm. Um, he's on a long-term contract and um, he's our player. We want, him, we want him playing. Of course we do. Happy days. That's, that that would be great to hear for a lot of... England fans, coming back to what you've just been saying there, I'll pick you up on that, ECB slapping your wrist. As a Leicestershire coach in what's perceived to be this smaller county, because of if you look at that high-performance review that yeah, Sir Andrew Strauss did, does it frustrate you that you get labelled like that because you're one of 18 counties producing players, like you said? Exactly this, what you've described about Riyad Ahmed is what, Stuart Broad went through when he was a Leicestershire player. I know he went and moved on to knots, but his development had to be curtailed because of his body and growing and stuff like that. So you've, you've produced some players. Now, does that frustrate you when this review just basically 
dismissed the smaller counties, perceived to be smaller counties, like the Leicestershire, Northampton and Derbyshire and, and, and one or two others. What is your take on that review and also what I'm, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it frustrates us uh, massively. What's really refreshing being the director of cricket of the last few years, apart from this last year, uh, as well as head coach um, before we brought Claude Henderson in, um, was I was at all those meetings that were taking place, the directors of cricket, and mm. that was so, and head coaches, and that was so, uh, sorry, that was so refreshing to know that all of the head coaches, all the directory crickets were adamant about 18 counties, this is us, mm. we're together as one. And actually, I think it, it's the right place. You know, there's only, in COVID year, when we changed our system and went three three divisions, <clears throat> we were literally... One, we were in the, they call it the group of death, which is a bit harsh, but, um, you know, there was Leicestershire and every other top county, basically. And we were, if we'd have beaten Middlesex on the last day, a merchant tailors, if we'd have knocked 300 off, we'd have finished fourth in basically the top division, uh, which would have been a fantastic achievement with, a, with the second youngest team in the country, with a good overseas pro. So what, what's frustrated us over the years is we haven't afford, been able to afford the best overseas pros uh, that some of the big boys have. We've had to um, develop a lot of youngsters with our budget. So we're now in a better place. We we want to play good cricket. And we know that, you know, T20, we've still got, we're still the most successful T20 mm. team in the country. We should have been through. We were very unlucky and very unfortunate. And we're still very disheartened about ECB's decision on not allowing us to appeal and the way things went for the counties this year with, with their point systems and ours was not deferred at all or we didn't we couldn't even have a, a fair review over it that that didn't happen so that was unfortunate so we we believe we would have been in in, in you know in finals day again this year and had a great chance we've got a, a wonderful white ball team so we're punching above our weight there as well and and Rahan was a big part of that you know he mm. played in great pressure games to get us through you know into quarterfinals home quarterfinals etc and, 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 and sorry away quarterfinals it would have been at Surrey so we we feel, yes, we had a poor year in championship cricket last year. Great learning year. But we, we come back again this next year and we're really positive about where we're going to play and how we're going to play. Yeah, just finally from me, Nico, a bit about on, on you and the coaching side of it. I know you're in, you're in Pakistan. Has this England cricket team with a Red Bull changed the way coaches look at the game? Because it's, they've ripped it up, haven't they? They've, they've, they've done it completely different to what the coaching manual would be, would be teaching you and telling you. It's a fantastic team but they're playing differently. Does that alter your thoughts as a coach on how you coach your, your team as well? Well, we'll certainly be having a chat with ECB. They're coming around, having a bit of a roadshow and chatting to counties moving forward, which I think is the right way of doing it. I think mm-hmm. it should come down from the top of the pyramid and come down to the counties. It's exciting and that's what we all want to see. I know, having spoken to all the top brass here out in Pakistan, they've loved it. They've, they've, they genuinely enjoy the spectacle of it, the people here who we chat to, they, they all love in this brand of cricket, which is wonderful. And I look back at, you know, I was like yourself, but old enough to play against Brendan. And that's how Brendan played. I remember Brendan walking out against us, first ball of the game, running down the wicket, hitting the, hitting the opening ball straight over his head for four. And it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Mm. You know, A, this guy's got special talent, but what a great mindset. So mm. we've seen it over the years, haven't we? We've seen the likes of Slater, We've seen the Alistair Browns at Surrey and these guys who can go out there and take the game away from people. But it's great, the belief. I just love the belief that they're giving players, the time they're giving players, because we all need belief and trust 
you know, young's, you know, young Crawley, they've backed him and backed him, and we've seen the, the fruits of their backing now. I like that, that they're true to their word, and that's something that Pakistan cricket have approached us about, about getting their first-class standards higher, looking at every aspect of their game to make Pakistan better to compete and to be, you know, how England are being now is, you know, serial winners. And that's where everybody's going. I think that's what the game's going to be about now. There'll be times, there'll be times that there's going to be a shocking defeat here and there. But like the lads are saying, the England coaching staff, it's entertaining. And you've got to win some and lose some. That's sport. So um, that's the brand of cricket that the world's got to look for now. And I think us as coaches, we have to embrace it. And I think that kids are going to grow up looking at it. And if we were young kids now growing up, that's going to be so exciting for us to play. And actually, the more T20s help this. T20 has created the belief that this test team is walking out with now. You know, look at Will Jacks who came in, who has hardly, he's hardly balls in four-day cricket. He, doesn't, he hasn't batted regularly and consistently in four-day cricket. Now he's being thought about as a, as a test player. You know, we, we're amalgamated into, into one game. Mm. And it's brilliant for our game. The one and only Paul Nixon, uh, Leicestershire coach. He's coaching in Pakistan at the moment, just as always. Bubbly, enthusiastic, full of uh, the joys of the world, um, Harmy, uh, but also really, really sharp, really astute on Rian Ahmed. And you can't help feeling that uh, the young man is in extremely good hands, as long as Nico can keep his hands on him. Yeah, as long as he can keep his hands on him. We've said, again, we've talked about on this show about good young young players at Leicester. They're in good hands when you're with somebody like Paul Nixon because of his enthusiasm, his willingness, his hard work, his willingness to try and get every ounce possible out of young players and young individuals. So from that point of view, it's brilliant to hear. My only concern, Manners, and this is the, the question that, probably asked, didn't ask very, very well, um, is that where he goes now and how he, his development is, because he probably won't play for England and New Zealand. The likelihood is he won't play in the Ashes unless something happens to Jack Leach. So England won't play two spinners until they go to New Zealand, until they go to India in November. If you're saying, well, we can't pick him as our second spinner, Leicester have got Callum Parkinson. And if you if you're playing on a on a pitch which you only play one spinner, how can you force Leicester or try and push Leicester into playing the young man if you're not willing to play him yourself, sort of thing? So, it, the development of of that will be be interesting to see. Looking at McCullum and Stokes, they might just think, you know what, don't matter, just let the lad go and play. Yeah, let the boy go and play franchise cricket. Let him go and play short format cricket. The end of the day, it comes down to decision making. If he can bowl his leg spinner, if he can bowl his googly, and he's straight on it, not a problem at all. If he's not, if he's not playing four-day cricket, they've done that with a few selections. So, it's going to be interesting to see how they go on on that. But the boy did unbelievable uh, during the during the the four days that he's had in in uh, in Karachi, um, and he looks as though he just wants to constantly be in the game, not playing cricket. He wants to constantly in the game which is a brilliant thing to see from a 19-year-old. One of the cornerstones of uh, Ben Stokes' captaincy has been loyalty. So it might just be interesting to see whether Rian Ahmed might even be considered as first-choice spinner. Now, you said uh, he'd play behind Jack Leach, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll be watching that one closely. 
You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll look back um, at a very, very quick first test between Australia and South Africa at the Gabba. Australia winning inside just two days. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And uh, if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is, as always, by, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, there was a massive anticipation amongst Australians uh, at the arrival of South Africa after two non-contests really against uh, the West Indies. There was great belief and, uh, and hope and belief that South Africa would uh, provide the kind of stiff opposition that they have done on the three previous tours. But um, in fact, they folded even more quickly than the West Indian deck chair going down in two days. Yeah, it was a very green pitch and a lot of grass on it. And it was it was too damp as well on the first day. But you know what, Harmi? The funny thing is, not only did none of the Australian bowlers criticise it, I haven't yet seen any criticism from any bowler anywhere who was either at the ground or watching from around the world. Nobody's criticised that pitch. You know, and I keep saying, would you rather have a flatty where a team grinds their way to 600 for four half an hour after tea on the second day 
or one that uh, in, in which wickets fall every 28 balls, which is what they did at the Gabba. <laughs> and I know which one is going to attract my attention. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to see a good contest between bat and ball. There probably wasn't in favour of the bat there, but every now and again, it, for me, it doesn't really matter. I think it's, they all I still think they're just as, they're just as exciting, if not more exciting than like the ones in Raupindi. And if it wasn't for England bat, then it, seven and a half and over, then that was the pitch that you're on about, 600 for four. Travis Head won the game. He was a difference between the game. You're watching, you know, what was happening in there, close eye. You know, he was, I think he was somewhat like 10 off 30 odd balls and then goes and gets 92 off nearly on a runner ball, if not on a, on a runner ball. He was a difference between the game because his score, another 50 runs, he probably got 50 runs more than anybody else in that game. And another 50 runs might have, Given Australia, given Australia a little bit of a fright because thirty-five for four in the in the fourth innings, yeah, they were never South Africa were never ever going to win. But one hundred and twenty might have been a different game altogether. I'm not going to criticise the Gabba or anything like that because it's uh, Australia never get beat there. It's like England trying to doctor Edgebaston. There's no point because England win at Edgebaston all the time. Australia win at the Gabba, but it was interesting to see from a distance, and you were there what the pitch was like and how much movement was there considering what we've seen on TV because it looked as though it was lavish. But like you said before, they're meant for more exciting test matches. Yes, they do. Um, they certainly do. Let's hear from, well, let's hear what South African captain Dean Elgar had to say afterwards. You've got to ask yourself the question, is that a good advertisement for our format? 34 wickets in two days. Pretty one-sided affair, I would say. So... I think it kind of leads into what everyone's thinking, actually. Yeah, I'm obviously a purist of this format, and we want to see the game go to four or five days. And, yeah, just the way, the nature of it, how it started to play with some seriously steep bounce with the old ball. I mean, you're kind of hiding to none as a batting unit. I mean, if you, if you think about it, only two batsmen, maybe three batsmen, only like applied themselves half decently and scored runs. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think it was a very good um, test wicket, no. That's Captain Dean Elgar. Um, I did write a column after the test match, Harmony, in which I said that Dean Elgar should worry less about advertising and more about keeping his eye on the ball. Mm. Um, he's played on far worse pitches than that. I, I actually thought he might have been joking when he said, admitted that he asked the umpires whether it was safe. Nobody got hit on the head. No. I mean, yes, the ball was nipping about, but it wasn't like jumping off a length and hitting you in the throat. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't in any way dangerous. Dean Elgar, five years ago, carried his bat on a brute, a monster of a pitch at the Wanderers against India. Carried his bat, faced 240 balls, was hit on the on the head half a dozen times from length deliveries. That wasn't dangerous. It was, I mean, the groundsman said, sorry, I got it wrong. Um, but it's an organic thing, as I always say to you. You can't control the pitch. It's like young children. You, you know, you can ask them to behave, but they're not always yeah. going to listen to you. So I didn't have a problem with it. And and, and the, my other point is two outstanding, right, really unusually outstanding fast bowling attacks and an extremely weak South African batting lineup. Otherwise, I think this game would have gone halfway through the third day. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think when I, when I watched the pitch, I was like, if you played straight here, you'd never you'd not get out. You just it, the ball's doing far too much. But I never felt as though anybody was in in danger. Pat Cummins said 
he didn't feel as though it was unsafe. I think Martin Slabashin said it wasn't wasn't up to test standard, but it was it wasn't sort of dangerous. I think Elgar was looking for for a little bit of excuses there. What's been made in Australia though? You're over there on the ground. Has has there been much said from the Australians on the fact that the the pitch was as it was? Um, have they have they just brushed under the carpet and gone well? South Africa are moaning again. No, they're disappointed. Uh, by the way, I meant to say it would have gone halfway through the fourth day. I, it, it, so it wasn't a two-day pitch, to my mind. It was a three-and-a-half-day pitch. Mm. You know, I think if you had good bowling attacks and competent batting lineup, certainly from South Africa, I think it was a three-and-a-half-day surface. And nobody complains if you lose the, the fifth day of a test mm. match. But um, there's there's shock, uh, you know, amongst the Australians. Like I said, they were expecting South Africa to provide the kind of uh, gritty opposition and contest that uh, they've been striving for so from you know from your you, you've seen a lot of South African cricket in close quarters what do you make of where this takes the South African side you, you talked about the England we've been in, talking about England in the show that England just don't know how to get beat at this minute in time and the way their mindset is of a crushing defeat like that where are South Africa's players at this minute in time because Boxing Day can gobble you up MCG all the stuff with Shane Warne you've just had a pitch which has done a hell of a lot and your captain has basically come out and said it wasn't fit for purpose where are South Africa going into Boxing Day because has it scarred them enough to think you know what this is going to be 3-0 and might as well go home now (laughs) well before I answer that let's hear what Kahisa um, Rabada had to say after the test. The batting lineup that we have is quite inexperienced. In fact, the team that we have is relatively inexperienced. If you look at um, other cricketing nations around the world, Dean Alga is our most experienced um, player, and then followed by, I think, myself and, and Timba. So, and I've played 50 odd Test matches, and everyone else has hasn't played much. So it can get frustrating as well. And when I say frustrating, uh, I don't mean to single out the batters. I mean it's frustrating as a team. Um, And you almost have to understand that sometimes this is what happens in a rebuilding phase. Although I've played in a team with a star-studded lineup where you're literally playing with greats of the game, I don't think that happens quite frequently if you ask me. And now the situation that we're faced with, there's just a whole lot of players who've, uh, who've come in who have the ability but need to get used to the international uh, uh, circuit. So there needs to be an element of patience and understanding, but at the same time, um, you can't be advocating for bad performances. South African fast bowler Kahisa Rabado took eight wickets in the test match to become the leading test wicket taker of 2022 with um, 45 wickets. He took uh, all four in the second innings. So he says that uh, he asks for fans to be patient with an inexperienced South African side. How about this? The South African top five, if they were all aged between 23 and 27, then that's fair enough. Yeah, okay, let's be patient. Let's build for the future. And uh, these guys need to find their feet in test cricket. No, no, they're all average. They all age between 32 and 35. Mm. And Dean Elgar averages 38. The next best is uh, Timber Bavum with an average of 34. Uh, But everyone else is averaging 30. 
or, or below. You know what, Harmy? This defeat might not have scarred them. What scarred them was Old Trafford and the Oval. So mm. they've lost in two days here. And people are talking about, well, it's only the 30th time that a chess match is finished in two days. But that is actually finishing on the second day. Old Trafford in the Oval also finished within two days of actual playing time. So yeah. that's three tests in a row that South Africa have lost inside the equivalent of two playing days. And that's that's a worry from a South African fan's point of view that the minute a team gets on top of you, they're just the water just gushes out everywhere. And is that leadership? Because I look at England, you've always revert back to England. Two and a half, three years ago, what you've just described was England, Joe Root averaging over 40, nobody anywhere near 32, 33. There was a lot of question marks. Esther averaging 33, Stokes averaging 32, Butler averaging 32. This was all that. And then all of a sudden, it just took one regime change. Didn't even have, it didn't even take a, a win in, in a test match to think, oh, this is the way to play. It was just a regime change, a, a thought process change. At this minute in time, Dean Elgar is sounds, he couldn't be any further away from where Ben Stokes sounds. It's just ridiculous because he's moaning about the pitch, he's moaning about everything, and then you've got Stokes just going, right, let's go out and play and enjoy ourselves. Well, I'll give you an example of that. So I interviewed uh, Dean Elgar straight after the test match, and I said to him, On a pitch like this, with wickets falling so regularly, you know that you're going to get out probably sooner rather than later. So did you consider at any point throwing some counter punches and like in the second innings, just saying to the guys, do you know what? We could be bowled out for 99 here. Let's Mm. throw a few punches and get some runs on the board. Actually, they were bowled out for 99. But (laughs) And he said, yes, we did talk about it. At lunch, South Africa were three for two. And he said, at any stage, if there was any stage for us to do that, then it would have been then. Come out after lunch, try and hit some bounce, get some runs on the board, give ourselves an outside chance, give ourselves a chance. And then he said, but we decided against it. He said, besides, I like to see guys grit it out. Well, as does that not illustrate just how far away he is from Ben Stokes. So that's, that's his style. He's a gritter. Mm. And he, he said, I like to see guys try and grit it out. Well, his team's not good enough. His, no. The batsmen aren't good enough. And when you look at, uh, even in the game, you watch the game. And if you watch the game closely, Travis Head can be, he can be both a gritter, but he tried to grit it out. He got to 10 off about 30 balls and gone, Oh, there's no chance of me hanging around here. I'm going to have a any put like you mentioned counter punch. All of a sudden, he he had he had he had fifty off about thirty five balls, forty balls, and I'm like, well, he's gone. I think he hit he hit something like eighteen or twenty, nearly twenty and over. Picked up leg side, he just kept clipping it over the leg side, and it's like, well, he's not bowling. We're not bowling any different. But a bloke's going to go. Oh, well, there's one with my name on it. So if I'm going to get out, I'm going to get caught hitting the ball in the air, trying to get runs on the board as opposed to just win and delay the inevitable, which is a ball's got my name on it. I'm going to go back at them. And that, that's all Travis Head did. And Travis Head's run difference between anybody else in the game is probably the difference between them winning the game, Australia, because Australia, even though in the second innings, they only had 35 to go at, four wickets down. If they're chasing 120, Rabada in the, the, the sort of form he was in and the way he was going, 120 was a hell of a lot of runs fourth innings on that surface. 
Okay, um, just we've run out of time in this section. Uh, I was going to mention Scott Boland. Um, so that's an interesting selection choice for Australia. He's taking his wickets at 10 still. He took another two for nothing in the second innings. And David Warner, we'll save David Warner for next week. It'll be his 100th test at the MCG. Kahisa Rabada has got him out five times. The last five innings, actually, uh, between these two sides. And um, he got him out just- first ball of the innings. I was going to say about Warner. I said this on the following on the other the other morning. I'm not sure if you you've, uh, you heard it, but when you look at Azarali, and when he finished his career, he got a guard of honour in, he got out third ball, and he got shaking hands all the way off the field. I'm not sure David Warner's going to get that at the Oval if he finishes at the Oval. <laughs> I fear he may not. Um, okay, as I said, we'll do more more of Warner next week. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Okay, we're on to that uh, part of the show where we talk about other stories from uh, around the world. I have to say, um, I Harmy would never have tipped Kane Williamson to step down from the Test captaincy, mm. but keep the captaincy in both white ball formats. I, I was rather expecting him to give away the T20s, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I just ex- thought he'd be one of those pure, pure batsmen who would perhaps actually choose test cricket as the way forward towards the end of his career. But he's he's done it upside down. Yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. I think more of a surprise than who took over. Just, I think Tim South is either same age or a little bit older than what than what Kane is. And he plays the same volume of cricket, which is the, the, the sort of white ball stuff as well as the, the test stuff. So unless... Tim's decided that he's going to—he's just going to concentrate like Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad on red ball cricket. I thought Tom Latham would have took over the Test team if Kane was going to step down to that, or possibly Kane stay with the Test team and 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 Southie take over the one day side. But yeah, who are we to argue? They've fine ambassadors for the game. You know these New Zealand lads, and and Kane Williamson's been a great leader of of New Zealand for a long period of time, but. When they said it was the Red Bull team you were stepping down from, I'm I'm with you. I was very, very surprised. Okay, let's hear Kane Williamson's explanation for his surprising call. It's sort of been an ongoing discussion, not specifically formats, but workload, um, wanting to keep making sure I'm putting uh, my energy in in the right places. And with um, major events um, next year, it kind of transpired the the way it has. And, And so we've sort of made that decision. And... Um, very fortunate within the environment to have so many other great leaders and really exciting to to see Tim take over the, the Test team and looking forward to supporting him. That's uh, New Zealand former Test captain Kane Williamson explaining why he stepped down from the role. And here is uh, Tim Southey at the age of 34. Um, I have to say that you and I are not alone in thinking that he's maybe looked a bit tired in various formats over the last year, but um, he's now the Test captain and this is him on on that decision. I think as a kid, it's all I wanted to do was play representing our country and be very fortunate to do it for, for a period of time. And um, I think test cricket is, like Kane said, the pinnacle of our game. And and um, I love playing all three formats. Um, but yeah, there's just something about test cricket as well that um, that really sort of gets you going as, as, as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, like I say, it's a, a childhood dream to, to play for New Zealand and um, and to be able to fulfil that and, and be able to do it has, has, has been been very um, pleasing over the, over the years. So, yeah, there's just, I guess, that feeling of, of representing um, your friends and your family and, and, our, and our country and, and, uh, and that sort of 
something I'm, I enjoy doing. That's Tim Southey talking about taking over as a test captain. His first assignment is a test series in Pakistan. So if if he is feeling a little bit tired, that's a fairly daunting if we're talking conventional cricket and not uh, England's approach to playing in Pakistan, you know, he, he could be <laughs> he could be looking at bowling 40 overs, opening the bowling, bowling 40 overs a test match for not much reward. It's not going to be a great deal of swing, certainly not conventional swing. So that's pretty daunting. And then he's got England mm. uh, for two tests in February and March. So, um, well, let's just see whether he does take to the captaincy role. Maybe, maybe Kane thought, I'm not captain. I was on fancy chasing the ball against England. It's just, that would be like, I might as well captain the one-day side if I captain the test side against England because it, it turned it into a one-day game, one-day contest. And as him, Southie's surely got to be looking at Jimmy and going, he's been bowling bouncers for a, for a fortnight in Pakistan. That's how they're getting the wickets. So, oh, you know, trying to pull a truck up and get a, try and get in wickets like that is, look, he's going to be, Going to be a good challenge for for New Zealand. It'll be, uh, I think it's, it'll be a good, ch- it'll be a be interesting sort of barometer where cricket's at when New Zealand go to to Pakistan to see what the difference is. You know the way New Zealand play their cricket and the way Pakistan have tried to play their cricket against England, um, and to see if England have been that so much better or have Pakistan obviously had a, a real time of troubles, their trouble. So the one thing that will be for sure is that New Zealand will be ready for England when England get there in February. And you know, and that will be a fantastic series. It will be a really, really good series. And it'll be an interesting to see the, the next phase of England's development leading them to the ashes. Moving on, a couple of days ago here in Brisbane, Mitchell Stark was talking about um, his decision for the last five years not to enter into the IPL auction, not to play IPL cricket, to take that time off. We've spoken about it before on The Collective. Um, uh, to spend that time at home and try and prolong his career. He was asked uh, how his reflections are on that now, and he said, well, he's, he's poorer than he might have been. And so I've used that as an example. So Chris Wokes is, was speaking this week about his decision not to put himself forward for the IPL in order to be as fit and as fresh as he possibly can um, for next year's Ashes. That can't be an easy decision because, you know, he he would surely have been picked up and probably for a lot of money. Yeah, and it's always a fine balance. I remember, you know, I'm going off experiences. I remember when I was having real struggles mentally and there was question marks on whether I wanted to play for England, whether I wanted a tour. Whether... And I always worked the mindset is that I play cricket somewhere. I love the game. I might not make the money that I could make if I'm if I'm playing you know, all formats of the game and going around the world, but I'm still going to have a decent lifestyle. My kids are going to have food in their bellies. I'm going to, have to provide for them, and I'm going to be happy more than the most important thing. Um, and that is the most important thing in life. Chris Wokes got a young family. Does he need to go to India for like the, the financial rewards on on that? Yes, you're only going for money, but Chris seems to be a, a well level headed lad and you know family's more important. You know, his his quality of life is more important. And Mitchell Stark, that's hats off to Mitchell Stark. Five years just gone, well, yes, I, I probably would have been a couple of million quid better in pocket, but my body might not have been as strong as what it is now mentally. I might not be as loving the game as what I am now because of the other. You know, the roller coaster you'll have going back and forward and constantly playing. 
I think there's a balance of quality of life in this that both Chris and Mitchell Stark have, have chose. And for me, that's far more important than money in the bank because at the end of the day, money, you can't spend it if your, your head's all over the place. You really can't. And it's you prolong your career for me on that. So you get the reward of the financial at the end of it as opposed to you know, short-sighted at the time. So good on him for you know, choosing that. Not many people would do that. And I still think he's got a, a role in this England side with the Ashes. Five test matches in five weeks is very, very demanding. You've got Archer to come, Broad to come, and Wokes with the three that's over there with, with England in Pakistan. That's six top quality bowlers. England are going to need every single one of them you know, to withstand, along with Potts, seven, to withstand what Australia is going to, the demands of an Ashes test series. So, you know, good on Chris for doing that. But it'll be interesting to see who else is, if there's anybody else does it. You know, Mark Wood's in that auction. There's one or two others in that auction. Will they have a decision to make? It'll be interesting to see. Okay, we've only got a minute left, Harmi. So two things. Um, Arjun Tendulkar, Sachin's son, is just under unimaginable weight of expectation, I suppose, uh, just carrying the, the name. But he eventually um, made his first-class debut and scored 100. So astonishing achievement there, I think. And the final thought this week, I, I must ask you about uh, your best mate, your dear friend, uh, Freddie Flintoff, Andrew Flintoff, injured, serious uh, injury in a in a car crash filming for Top Gear. So, um, yeah, your thoughts on those two? Yeah, the the Tendulkar was all the Tendulkar ones always. He got picked up in the IPL, and a lot of question marks was, "Are oh, he getting picked up off Mumbai because of his dad?" Well, he's gone and made his first class debut and got hundred in the test match in the in the first class game. So the boy's got talent. So he's got no chance. Really, when it comes to his surname, hasn't he? So, see many of young player come and go whose dad's played international cricket, but not to the level of uh, of what this boy's got of put up with. It's like Cristiano Ronaldo's son or Messi's son coming to play football. No matter how good you are, you can play 150 times for your country, but you still not be as good as your dad. Um, and that will always be in the thing. So he's got to put that to one side and just go. I'm going to be the best player I possibly can be. Um, for the name I've got, and I'd be thankful that I've got my dad in my corner and the, the other stuff is just background noise. And background noise, Andrew, he's all right, which is a good thing, a few messages with him. And I, I must admit, trying to find out what had happened the night before, going through that night, for all of us, you know, a lot of his close friends, you know, it, was a, it was a long 12 hours until you know, we managed to get a hold of Rachel and... and eventually speak to Andrew, but he's he's on the mend. He's going he's going well. His spirits are up. A couple of messages, you know, having a go at me. So he's still got his personality, which is uh he's gonna need going forward. But by all accounts he's 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 been in a in a in a serious incident, but he's he wants people to know that he's he's fighting fit, he's going forward and um I think he'll probably be going back on the show. He wants to go back on the show, hopefully. So if that's the case then yeah it's great to see. But I think there was a lot of his his good friends and people around the world very worried for him for a a period of time. But the main thing is he's he's all right and he is he's getting better. So while he's while that's happening, um, we fingers crossed that he he continues on that road to recovery. Freddie Flintoff wanting to get back onto the horse after a fall like that. Who'd have thought it? Hey. 
You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week, but for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.